And we're back, my friends, with another Friday conversation. This time, this time I kind of like anti-geeked out. I'm just going to go ahead and name it. I need you to understand that I was a professor for a long time. And when I meet someone like Jasmine that you're about to meet, it makes, I'm so like, I don't even have the, I'm so excited about the future of the world. And this I miss. So I look, y'all, just forgive me. This is how I get with young folks. They make me feel very excited and just, I, you know what? I'm not even going to say anything more. We are in season two. We are in conversations with folks, um, especially women leaders of color who are activists, actors, comedians. And I had the pleasure of meeting this young person who you're going to see she is going to change the world. Like you're going to, I can't look, I'm going to stop soon. Here's Jasmine. (laughs) Welcome to our next very important conversation with our newest friend, Jasmine. I'm Shane and Ivy with the What She Said Project. We are spending some time in our season two to pass the mic lift up voices, especially those in my local community of Columbia, South Carolina, who are in the work. Um, And so I'd like to introduce everyone to a new leader. She is a leader already. Jasmine, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? How you would like us, what you would like us to know about you today? Yeah, uh, my name is Jasmine McRae. Um, I am a co-founder of Empower South Carolina. Uh, So we're a collective of activists uh, working for equity here in the state. Um, First with criminal justice reform, hopefully a lot of police reform, and um, refunding money back to the communities is really our central focus. Um, Go ahead. Yes, tell me more. More. What what else did we know about you today? Um, So I'm a graduate student at USC. Um, I'm studying for my master's in secondary education. I hope to further that with a PhD, hopefully with social justice education as an angle um, and do educational reform here in the state as well. Okay, so this, this is a great like, can we go a little bit more into what brought you to secondary education? And yeah, for those of us that don't understand um, what educational reform, like what you're wanting, what, how, do, yeah. how do those two things come together? Okay, so, um, like to so with secondary education, honestly, I just can't stand little kids. <laughs> um, the idea of having like 20, 10 year olds in a classroom is very overwhelming mm-hmm. and they're good one-on-one, maybe even two-on-one, but I really just liked being in high school myself and being at that age level of I can do anything. It's just, I need people to tell me how. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think high schoolers are just really unique in how they think and see the world because they really are stepping into their own personhood. Um, and it's, it's just a fun time to, to see them flourish and go to college. Can I, can I ask a question? Okay. You said you had a good experience in high school and then you said you needed folks to show you how. Uh, yeah, with you with these lenses of graduate student, you did you have who you needed 
to tell you how to do steps X, Y, and Z? And how does that connect to the work you're doing now? Honestly, I love my teachers and I, I did have a good quality education for South Carolina standards. Arguably, I did not learn what I needed to learn to really thrive, not just survive in society and outside of the you know education system. Um, when you go to college and you you meet other people who go to possibly other states for public education, you can kind of see the differences in quality. Not to say that I'm dumb because I know that's not the case. Um, but you understand that there is a huge um, disparity between the quality of South Carolina's education and another state's. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but we're always in the top, we're always in the bottom 10 for a reason. <laughs> yep. And our neighboring Southern states, we've got a few that like to shuffle us around. Yeah. I happen to know about you that social studies, am I right? Yes. Your, is where you are focusing your uh, expertise in secondary ed and possibly what you might look at in the PhD when you go there. Can you tell me how you're putting together social studies and education reform? Right. So um, I like to think that social studies goes hand in hand with social justice um, because you can, you have to learn about the way you interact with the world and about cultural differences and um, you know, listen to other perspectives and really pry with a critical eye at our history. Um, that is something else that's wrong with education is we get this Americanized indoctrination, um, what we call like a master narrative of X, Y, and Z happened. It was all done by the white man and everyone else was just okay with it. Um, for instance, we call slaves immigrants in a lot of textbooks, which is crazy. They're enslaved people who were kidnapped from a, another continent and taken here. And to not have your students be taught that and told that clearly, that plants a seed in their head that slavery was an okay idea. Um, and that's taking it to an extreme, of course, but there are other instances where such as manifest destiny that was an okay idea because of a white narrative that was glossed around it they said god told them to conquer the rest of america that there was no one there there were people there for hundreds of years beforehand and you're not taught that not clearly and not so bluntly in public education where okay so you know that I'm a mother and I do have a 10 year old and I also do not want to be in a room with 20 10 year olds. <laughs> we think about education and as a former professor or possibly going back into doing some teaching, when we look into that, where can we supplement that? Like where is it in the textbooks? Like when you're in, I don't, I didn't go to graduate school to teach social studies. So when you're looking pedagogically and at the resources you have, how can reform happen? Um, do you have ideas about that that you can share with us? Yeah. Okay. So I think first it's talking more to teachers and less to policymakers um, who are 
frankly in it for money and maybe haven't been near a classroom for decades. <laughs> um, also, um, I'm sure you know this, or uh, as a professor, you know, we have two textbook companies that really control um, the publishing of every idea for academics. Um, those two are controlled by California and Texas. And if California and Texas are the only two states who control the entire narrative of American history, well, you're forgetting a lot of people who also are there. And you have to remember who writes the textbooks. Um, typically not someone invested in critical theory who looks at it through a you know, truly critical lens. It's usually someone who may just keep on st sticking with the same narrative and just adding a little bit here and there so they can keep selling the books. Um, but it goes further than that, in my opinion. Um, teachers also have to be more aware, especially new incoming teachers, they need to have a really deep understanding of history that goes beyond social studies, honestly. Even math teachers need to understand that black students and brown students um, are expected not to do well in their classes because that's what statistics show when statistics only value a certain kind of intelligence to begin with. So really, I don't know how we would reform the whole thing. Right now my answer is overthrow the whole system. <laughs> start, start with testing and culture in schools and textbooks and curriculum. Um, it's just a lot that we have to address as teachers, as professionals, as parents, as students. Um, we need to remember that these people become active, informed voters, and we want them to change the world. So we need to teach them the ways of the world. As a parent, so envision yourself not far from now, which is exciting. Like you'll be, you may teach my kid. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> As a parent, I want to know how to support teachers who are doing this new brave work. Like the world has shifted, the, the narrative has shifted, but we're still a bunch of humans and a lot of humans are, it takes us a long time to catch up. Yes. So say, I'm a white mother in your classroom. Well, I'm not in your classroom, but I'm supporting my child in your classroom. What is something that I can do at home to make sure that what you're teaching um, is heard and is supported in my home? So I like to think that parents hold a lot of power um, because they are the ones that contact administration. Um, mm -hmm. Advocate for your teachers. Um, if you want to have your teachers teach anti-racist education or approach um, with a different perspective towards Native American history, for instance, or about African American history, you want them to go in depth, advocate for that. Because they probably do too, and they may not have that academic freedom. But also call out teachers who do not do that work, even after pressure or I mean, honestly, especially after this year, I'm expecting education to really take a good look at itself and say, are we doing enough for our black and brown students? Um, I would love to send you a letter that actually has been made a template um, for districts to be sent um, by parents encouraging um, 
encouraging them to go into uh, cultural relevant pedagogy. So really looking into different cultural perspectives and allowing their, their students to explore worlds and countries that they may not have valued or thought about before. Can you tell me what the word pedagogy is for those that are not educators? Yes, um, I probably will butcher the okay. official definition, um, but it's an approach to teaching. I like to think of it as a teacher ideology. Um, how do you want to teach and what do you want out of your students? Um, so for me, I, I want my students to know that they're not just Americans, they're global citizens as well. We play a part in a whole global network, especially in a digital age that we are now. Um, we see it in the protests that are going on today. There, there are protests in France and New Zealand and they're screaming justice for George Floyd and they have a completely different version of racism than American racism, um, but still somehow that culture of anti-blackness reaches everywhere. It's still all over the world. Yes. And okay, so also the letter, I love that. The moms, we need to we need to do a little bit more clear advocating. And so I'm calling it like, and I, I we brought up her name before and I hate so I'm gonna just say AC or we're just gonna say Amy Cooper. So I wanna take take uh, the yeah. power, the power and privilege, okay, so we're also, I'm gonna ask you to help like take these words apart a little bit because for some people, they're still button up against it. And they're noticing for yeah. some white folks, they're noticing their friends are like, hmm, let me investigate this. But for some that word, that privilege. So I wanna take the power of white moms to support you is what I'm like hoping to do with what she said. I'm like, come on, let's do it. And let's organize a little better. Okay, so let's talk about what I'm, you and I have had a conversation about white women fearing the Amy Cooper fallout. Right. So you had some really good framing around that. So can you talk to me more about, okay, I've mentioned privilege and then I mentioned Amy Cooper. So would, wherever you'd like to go with that. Right. Um, well, let me first kind of dive into privilege and then we can talk about Miss Cooper. Um, <laughs> Um, we've probably also heard like the term Karen lately about white women and they're using their privilege for asserting their, their power. Um, privilege is being able to have the benefit of the doubt against someone else. Um, yeah. It's knowing that when you walk into the room, um, you are safe, that your voice is respected and heard, um, that your life matters, um, knowing that deep inside that people value you and that society values you um, to tie it into everything going on right now. Um, I like to also think that privilege, no, privilege means we're all born with a certain degree of privilege. If, you're, if you are a man, you have masculine privilege. You are able to assert dominance in a way that society accepts it and allows it as a as a white woman um yes we are still you, you are still a woman we still have to defunct to male leadership or at least that's what is expected of us um but we still you still have a whiteness that allows power to be asserted um so when you are in a room 
and there's a black woman in the room, your name would probably be called first or you, your words will be trusted against hers. Um, and it comes in smaller ways too. It comes in to tie it back to education. It comes in being trusted that you didn't cheat on a test. Mm -hmm. it, it comes in the form of being nudged along into AP when you shouldn't be in that, that class. Mm -hmm. um, AP classes and tracking are huge issues of privilege where white children are given the benefit of the doubt in their intelligence and they're pushed harder than black students are. And black students are left in CP and um, remedial classes because they think that is all, that is all they expect. Um, to tie it back into Miss Cooper. Um, Miss Cooper used her power um, and her privilege that she knows that she is safe when she calls the police. Um, the police are there to protect white women. Um, that is something taught in society from way back that we all know. Um, you know that if you called 911, they would be there for you. They would trust you. Um, whereas a black person does not have that luxury of using the police uh, like a customer service line and really um, calling because they have a tip with someone about their dog in a park. Um, because there's a risk to your black skin. Um, there is a risk that you will be criminalized the second you walk outside of your home. Well, granted, even inside of your home, you are criminalized um, and not given the benefit of the doubt as a black person. We see that with Breonna Taylor. What, what is interesting that you showed me was that in the Amy Cooper situation, there's more than one Cooper. Can you tell me more about like yeah. that? That story framing is very clear. Yes. Yeah. The other man's name, the, the black man, the victim of a um, attempted assault on his life, frankly, is Christian Cooper. Why are we not shouting Christian Cooper and talking about him? where we are hearing about Amy who has lost her job and her dog and boo-hoo. Um, she attempted a, a hit on his life. Yeah. She knew what she was doing because she, she even says, I'm calling the police on an African-American man. She knew the power in saying those words as a, a fearful white woman in the situation. Um, it goes all the way back to <laughs> Birth of a Nation and how the Klan was the, the, the hero and the white woman was so terrified of that dangerous, scary man who was a white man in blackface. Um, and instead of being touched by that black man, she would rather commit suicide and jump off of a cliff. Um, it goes right back into Emmett Till and Emmett Till losing his life because a white woman lies about being whistled at and her having the privilege to keep that secret for decades until his mother is long gone, until everyone is, has forgotten Emmett Till's name until now and we're screaming it again. 
because this constantly happens to our young black boys and girls um, where it's centered around whiteness. We're not talking about um, Christian. We're talking about Amy. We're not talking about Ahmad. We're talking about the, the men who went out and were vigilantes and killed them. We're not talking about Breonna Taylor. We're, we're digging into the cops' lives um, where we should really be worrying about her family and, and loving this, this poor girl who was my age killed for no reason. Yeah. That framing is really important when we connect to the, um, upro the uproar about the use of Karen. And so we, I think because it sticks because we know that behavior, you know, that's the behavior like, what happened? No, hold on, I'm gonna talk to someone. Like that's that yep. behavior. <laughs> and so the fallout from it, it's, it's funny when we think about it because it's true. And I don't know one white woman who has not called customer service or said, right. talk to your manager. Like I really don't think, I know, I think I'm, I, I'm not going to speak for all white women, but I know there's a little mini Karen in me. I, as I a biracial woman, I know the privilege that I hold in my light skin and being able to pass for white in a lot of different communities and spaces. Um, and I know that even with me, if I called the police i'm i would be trusted potentially more than um my black uh friends and my my black sisters and brothers um it goes deep into just again knowing you hold the power over a, an essential worker who is just a cashier attending to your groceries and you're not going fast enough for them yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? It, it goes into complaining that a waitress is taking too long when she's got 20 other tables. Um, it's that privilege that we have in our skin, our socioeconomic class, um, our education, um, that gives us extra inches of power that we know we can assert, or at least we want to sometimes assert over each other to show some kind of dominance. I think that goes being into human, um, but it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> um, we would want to use our privilege to like what you're doing now, uplift rather than punch down. And the uplifting, uh, one thing I wanna swing back to, uplifting versus there are lots of practices that folks uh white folks are raised to do i sure hope we're about to see an animal i'm just saying there's like a friend in the room <laughs> you see you see me struggling <laughs> I've got all the babies <laughs> i would yes, have two dogs <laughs> I'm, look this people are going to talk about the, we're going to hope we're going to bring them back to the point they're going to be like there are dogs in your favorite <laughs> um okay so, so like okay let's talk about centering so i'm seeing a lot of folks especially in the storytelling i'm just seeing a lot of folks struggle with what this centering whiteness as opposed to there's just a lot in there like passing the mic yeah. is one thing Saving is another weird thing. And so people yeah. are confused. They're just confused as to 
how to shift it in their own practice with folks. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we're taught to fix things, especially as women. We are taught to tend and nurture and take care of problems that, that arise. And there is now a huge, like, cloud of white guilt over everyone's head because, I mean, <laughs> funny enough, at a protest, there was just a white woman holding a sign saying, I'm sorry. I saw that. Sorry for what? I mean, there, because that goes deep into just looking at yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear that you're sorry. I just want to see you do, do better. Um, I, I don't want to hear that you are, I'm digging at myself. I started a book club to allow women to come in and talk about these situations with someone comfortable enough to express that and and really start their anti-racism work there um but i don't want to have have you hear about i don't want to hear about it i don't need you to um put on a social media megaphone and say i am now anti-racist and i am so sorry for my privilege no just do better in your actions um call your legislators and push for legislation Call um, your coworkers, your your boss, and say, "I think we need to have more diversity in our leadership team. I think we need to be more inclusive." Um, talk to your fran- your family, and your friends, because I want to really dig in there with you on this one. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, <laughs> people are experiencing white people are experiencing loss of friendships, and like as they're learning and so we're seeing people grieve that friendships and family members but talk to me about how how to both be understanding that our family groups are where the real work is and and sometimes the hardest work is right yeah and so Um, tell me more about how why that's important to start in your own yard and not just go out evangelizing not to take that word away from anything that could be good but not to like be running out into other places why home is where really we should start because you had strong feelings about that right well i mean it's a generational cycle we learn from our parents who learn from their parents who learn from their parents so if you are taught um black people are wrong or um criminals or thugs or that Mexican immigrants are rapists and criminals, um, and you're not um, fixed for that kind of uh, wording in your own home, if you're not checked in your own home, you are going to think that's okay. Um, And I will say black people are losing friends too. We're losing family too. Um, I see friends that I thought were down um, (laughs) that have, posted some really sad um material on social media that that exposes them for really who they are um not to say that makes me sad um it makes me just say okay um that's someone i need to avoid in life um some people you just can't fix um when it comes to family, it is, of course, tougher. I like to um, always say I just will not tolerate it. If if that's something you want to say in your home, it's not going to come into mine. If that's something you want to say on your feed, that's fine. 
it's not coming onto mine because that looks like I support it and I will not think my um let my black brown black and brown people see that and think that I endorse that in any way now if that does happen and grandma pops up on the comment with all lives matter it's it's hard to then all of a sudden call grandma out yeah. um and it's hard to talk to grandma about racism but we can just say grandma i don't i don't tolerate this this is something i believe in this is who i am and this is who i want my children to be and if that's not something that you allow i won't tolerate it that might be too much and too harsh coming from me like racism is not a political issue it's a human rights issue right. black people are getting killed because of racism um it to not address that so bluntly um and to not realize that um is crazy to me but <laughs> it it's also because media and politicians and people in general think black lives matter is a paid campaign and they think that we are a political um, scheme and they'll use civil rights leaders from the past against us when, no, we're, we're fighting for the same cause. We're, we're still fighting the same fight. They just passed the, bat the baton to us. Yep. Um, so it is hard with family. Of course, it's a generational issue. Their racism is different from our racism. Our intellectualism is different from their intellectualism. Um, our values are different from theirs. They didn't think a woman could even possibly run for president. They didn't think, um, we didn't think a reality show uh, star could become president. What is the next generation going to think is possible with that office? You know what I mean? Like we keep on expanding that, that way of thinking. It, that is also the expanding a way of thinking. It's starting to move quickly. For some people yes. who hadn't started the work before this moment, it seems that things are moving quickly. Yes. I have the internet? I'm, I'll just tell myself, I am, well, I'll just say, I'm in my mid 40s. I remember when we got a first computer, the internet became like a light, like part of my college, but it wasn't real internet. It was like chat rooms. Yeah. Talking to strangers. So it's like, there are people that are catching up and grandma, oh, I think I lost everything. Nope, that was me. I have a 93 year old grandmother on Facebook. My grandmother may watch this and I hold, I still hold, we can still learn. Cause if she values you more than she values her ideology, there, there is room, but it's like we yes. got to center that the human life in this. And that is why I'm inviting folks to come on and we get to know you, we get to hear your stories because it's humanizing folks. Like a little hashtag is still so far off, right? And mm -hmm. I'm not sure my grandmother knows how to use hashtags. I'm not sure I really understand them all. So we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna make mistakes. But I do know there that's important to make them because that's a part of learning, right? So this is yes. learning and having conversations with folks like you is helping a lot of folks and i really appreciate you coming to have a conversation <laughs> thank you with me can we talk about empower sc so i yeah we want to like they're all up in the news right now there's like articles about you but tell me what what your order of business is right now like who's involved and like what you're working on 
Yeah, um, so we have two other co-founders, uh, Ryan Martinez and Demetrius Hill. They are great. There's some two other SC natives here. I'm the only transplant technically. Um, but I, I like to always lie and say I'm from South Carolina. Um, we'll, claim you. We'll, we'll claim you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so right now uh, we have um, submitted policy to the city of Columbia. Um, we have a meeting with Mayor Benjamin early next week. Really exciting. Um, we have proposed a couple of um, budget changes and policy reforms. Uh, we want to cap the police budget um, to allow more room for our community to actually take care of itself and take care of its own. Um, something that looks like it's going to be a really strong uphill battle, even though we hear encouraging words. We know that there are others that may be deadlocked and um, harder to nudge along. Um, hopefully with momentum and more discussions like this one, we can open hearts and minds and, re and realize that policing does need to change um, dramatically. It's not going to be an overnight fix or one year fix like people seem to think it will be. Um, revolution takes time um, and it takes many people and many pieces working together. I just had an Oprah moment. I'm like, that's, that's a tweetable moment. Revolution <laughs> takes time and people. Mm -hmm. What did you say? And, and other pieces working together. Yep. So in the pieces working together for folks that are like, oh, well, I want to understand more about this. I know that it's well documented. Um, there's some articles and there's also your plan that you have. Where yeah. do folks find this information? Yeah, um, you can find it on the Empower SC Facebook page. And we also just started an Instagram and that is empower underscore sc and then the twitter is sc underscore empower um <laughs> i'll send those to you um just to make sure they're right um but we have everything linked right there i i do believe local news stations also have snagged copies as well um i hope that we're making a site we're actually building that this month um it's just a lot of uh working parts like i said so we've got a team of, of volunteer policy makers everyone's a volunteer um everyone is doing this absolutely for free no one needs to be paid to make a movement happen um we have volunteer graphic designers social media coordinators pr team they are absolutely incredible we have a team of like 60 people now who are passionate for changing south carolina Yes, if I could name all of them right now, I would, <laughs> but I will just say thank you to all of y'all because you are the reason that we even made it this far. Um, Empower is nothing without the people behind the work. Um, I like to just say I'm just speaking on behalf of them and amplifying other voices as well. If, any, if anyone who's listening to this is interested in having this sort of conversation, at any phase of the organization, that's what we want to do. We want to listen to the stories and hear the perspectives of the humans doing this work. Also, as a woman, I am hoping that if there is a way to donate, that there will be a way to uh, 
like put some of this white money behind what's happening. You know, it's just like, yeah. at some point, I hope there will be a way. I don't, there isn't one yet for donating yet. Not yet. Um, we're working on finding like a project to really start fundraising for. Um, I have found some, but I don't want to share quite yet until we do have something established. <laughs> I hope that you all, and I, uh, I did interview Demetrius last week and so i'm going to be putting your interviews out both of them on the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so okay awesome i am so excited about the future because you're in it and so <laughs> thank can you, you tell me one like can you tell me a self-care thing that you do for yourself because that's a lot to be doing do you do anything <laughs> like do you like what is what brings you joy or like what one nice thing will you do for yourself this weekend or today so this weekend, I did say it will be a little bit of a slower paced weekend. Um, so I have my little book club after this. Oh. And then after that, I'm turning off my phone and my laptop. So no one can talk to me. <laughs> That's number one. And then I'm going outside and just hanging outside, maybe reading a book. But most of my books right now are racial justice, and that would get me motivated to work. So I might just turn on a silly children's cartoon, try and forget everything going on in the world, and do a face mask, drink some wine. Yeah. Self-care is an act of resistance. Um, so they don't want you to slow down, but you need to also take care of yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup. That's right. And we, this is a marathon and our youth are running it forward, but also as an auntie who was not taught self-care. Like, I'm really like y'all. <laughs> I'm glad that you are going to find ways to bring some joy into this. Thank because you. We need you long term. I'm so excited. Hey, we're trying. I, we, we got yelled at for being on our little leadership chat. They said, go to sleep. So, <laughs> um, we, have to remind each other to, to slow down and um, remember that you need to take care of yourself too if you want to take care of other people. One thing I'll highlight for our next conversation because I'm going to invite you back. I hope you'll come back. Yes. You guys are modeling shared leadership. So I, I'm like always like this, but like last minute, I'm like, ooh. So shared <laughs> leadership is a model that is not often taught. So I hope um, maybe I'll do like a panel discussion and get y'all later down the line the three of you to talk about how what you're organizing how it worked how you did it so because i'm so yeah excited. okay i'm not going to take one more minute of your time i am so excited to be in contact with you jasmine thank you so much sure. for coming and talking thank you me. shannon i had such a great time i'm excited for the next time me too i'll talk soon and thank you for all you're doing so big hugs and have a wonderful rest of your day <laughs> you too Bye. Bye. So you get it, right? You get it. Why Auntie Shannon gets so excited. I hope that this conversation gives you some hope and some clarity. This little professor, look, Jasmine, the Professor Jasmine, uh, I hope is around my child because you can see how the clarity and the heart of this young leader. We're all behind you, Jasmine. Auntie Shannon is here. <laughs> I just want to give you the mic and set you free.
So this is the call for our listener base. These leaders do not have to be in Columbia, South Carolina. I just happen to have connections there. If you have a young leader, however they are doing their work, I would love to talk with them. So get in touch with us, connect with us. I would love to interview them at the What She Said Project. All right, y'all know how to get in touch with me. Thank you, Jasmine. More to come. Y'all be safe. Wear those masks and know that Auntie Shannon loves you very much. Have a good week.